Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in Alaska as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Good morning, ACF. Can we celebrate being together today? On Mother's Day, it is a great day. First of all, I have to do something. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you. I hope you're having a great day today, and I'll call you later. Um, Man, welcome to ACF. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. If you're a guest of ours this morning, we just want to say welcome. Uh, We're so glad that you're with us today. Maybe you came with mom today, or maybe you just found your way here, and maybe you're watching online right now. We just want to say we're so glad you're with us today. Thank you for taking some time to be with us this morning. Well, uh, if you haven't been around for a few weeks, we have been in a series called Impact Alaska, and, and we're talking about this kingdom idea. See, the kingdom of God was, was Jesus' favorite topic. It was what he taught about more than anything was the kingdom of God. And if, if it was a thing that Jesus taught about more than anything, then maybe it's something that we should kind of pay attention to. Jesus would talk about it. He would say things like, the kingdom of God is like a lost coin. The kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field. The kingdom of God is like this lost son. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that's planted in the ground. The kingdom of God. He was always teaching about the kingdom of God. And so if it was really important for Jesus to talk about so much, then it might be pretty important for us to pay attention to. And what is he actually saying? See, the reason the kingdom of God was the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything is because the kingdom of God was the mission of why Jesus came to earth. It was the reason he came. You see, all the other things that we think about, well, why did Jesus came? Well, he came to live a perfect life. He came to die for our sins. He came to get raised from the dead. Yes, that's all true, but that was part of a mission that he was on, and that mission was to establish God's kingdom here on this earth. In fact, In the book of Mark, Jesus begins his entire ministry with this this one little teaching, this one little saying that Jesus says, and we we actually talked about this two weeks ago, and remind you of it again this morning. He says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And believe the gospel. The time is now. It's been fulfilled. In other words, what Jesus is saying is like he's talking to a, a group of Jews. And, and their, their lineage, their heritage would have been for hundreds and thousands of years. They've been waiting for God's kingdom to show up on earth. They've had all these promises. They've, they've been told like this, this thing is coming. This kingdom is coming. And Jesus shows up. He's like, guys, I got good news. It's here. The time is now. What you've been waiting for has arrived. Repent and believe the gospel. 
Now, when Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel, these, these two things I want to focus on for just a minute. This idea, this word, repent. Right? Repent and believe. If you've grown up in the church, you've probably more than likely heard this word repent before. In fact, even if you haven't grown up in the church, you've probably heard this word repent before. And you, you hear the word, maybe you think of like a preacher like banging on a podium, repent, right? Like all you sinners. And we, we think this word kind of means this, this idea of, of, uh, of it's for sinners, right? It's for evil people. Like you got to repent and be different. Maybe if you're like me, you grew up in the church and you heard the word repent and you were taught it means like turning 180 degrees. Has anyone ever heard this one before? Like I'm going towards my sin and repentance means I turned 180 degrees and now I'm no longer headed towards my sin, right? And, and, and while the, the results of repentance can be that, that's not what the word repent means. The word repent is actually, it's a Greek word and it, in, in the Greek it's, it's called metanoia. Metanoia. Maybe you've heard this before. We've talked about this at ACF Church before if you've been around for a little bit. But this idea of metanoia, metanoia is actually two separate words. There's meta and then there's noia. And meta is, all it simply means is change. Like you, you hear in the word metamorphosis, right? Like things changing. That's what meta means. And noia means your mind. That's where we get the word like paranoia, like fear in your mind. So metanoia means to change your mind or to change the way you think, right? So when we, when we deal with this word in like terms of sin, what, what it means is repent from your sin means think differently about your sin. Don't think about it the same way. Don't think about that greed the same way you've always thought about greed. Don't think about anger the same way you've always thought about anger. Don't, don't think about lust the same way you've always thought about lust. Think about it differently. And in doing so, you're, you, you should turn and walk away from it. The, the, the thinking differently should cause you to do that. But Jesus is using this word repent, and he's not even necessarily talking about sin. When he says repent and believe the gospel, what he's saying is, guys, the kingdom is, of God is here. It's time to think differently. The kingdom of God has arrived. It's time to think differently. Don't think the way you've always thought. Don't think the way the world thinks. The kingdom of God is here. It's time to think differently and believe the good news. Right? He says, believe the gospel. Two weeks ago, Brian talked about what is the gospel. The gospel is the good news. It is, it is the word that goes out as the victory is made to let everyone know victory has been won. Everything is good. Jesus is saying the gospel, the good news is the kingdom of God is here. I have arrived. So now think differently about life. Think differently and believe the good news. And church, that's what we're being told today. Like we got to think differently about our lives. We got to think differently about the world. We got to think in a kingdom mindset, a kingdom perspective. Think differently. God's kingdom is here. Now, there's this moment where Jesus is giving this, this sermon, and he's going on, and he's teaching all these people about all these aspects, actually, about the kingdom of God. He's like, look, in the kingdom of God, like, you're blessed when you're, when you're, when you're mourning. In the kingdom of God, when you're last, you're actually first. In the kingdom of God, like, when you're meek, you are strong. You will inherit the earth. And he's, he's teaching all these things, and in the middle of his teaching, he stops, and he's like, okay, now listen up. I want to teach you guys how to pray. Because this is really, really important. 
Really, really important. Jesus' life was a life of prayer. And he's like, I pray all the time. Now I want to teach you how to pray. And he starts this prayer off. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. And, and maybe you've heard it before. In fact, I know you've all heard it before because it was just on the video like two minutes ago. So if you've never heard it before, you just heard the Lord's Prayer. And it starts out, Jesus is like, our Father is in heaven. Holy is your name. And then the first part, right after acknowledging God's greatness, acknowledging God's holiness, he says, let your, will be, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is Jesus saying about God's kingdom and God's will? First of all, he's saying, let it be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven. In other words, in heaven, currently right now, his will is being done to perfection. His will is perfect and the kingdom is being done to perfection. And now Jesus is saying we need to pray that God's will is being done to perfection here on earth and that his kingdom is moving forward to perfection on earth, that it's alive and that it is this thing that is moving forward in this world. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if that's how we're supposed to pray, If we are supposed to pray that God's will and his kingdom would be being done here on earth, don't you think it's a good idea that we know what his kingdom looks like? Right? Like, how would we know if God's kingdom is being done on earth if we don't know what his kingdom looks like? And so has anyone ever put together one of those puzzles where, like, the box doesn't show you what the picture is? Like, how sick and twisted is this? Like, who I don't have time to do this. I like to do some puzzles now and then with my wife, but I'm like, okay, we got the picture. I'm just like mm, on the picture looking at it. We can put this thing together. We can do this in a hurry. We don't have a lot of time for this. But they make puzzles where you don't know what the picture is. Like, what is the point of this? How do I know if I'm doing it right? How do I know if I'm completing this? Is it upside down? I have no idea. This is a terrible thing, and yet people love this. And it's, it's like the kingdom of God. If we don't know what the kingdom of God looks like, how do we know if we're putting it together correctly? How do we know if we're operating it? How do we know if we're doing it right? Because if I were to survey, if I were just to grab random people and say, hey, what does the kingdom of God look like? I might hear certain things like, man, everyone's just nice to each other. Everyone is nice to each other. Everyone's just kind. I can go and I can get in line and it's my turn to make the order and my order could take three minutes because I'm trying to still figure out what I want and no one's yelling at me behind me. That's the kingdom of God right there. People are nice to each other. Right? I can turn on the news and not everything's just depressing and negative. Like that's what I feel like the kingdom of God looks like to me. I could be maybe running just a little bit late to work and I get on the Glen and there's just no traffic. Kingdom of God, so I know. And it just snowed too, like... Kingdom of God, like no traffic ever, clearly, obviously. Like you might have a picture or an image of God's kingdom in your mind, but if you don't have the whole picture, if we don't understand together, church, what the kingdom of God looks like, how do we know if it's come? And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to take a look at what does the kingdom of God actually look like? What does Scripture tell us what the kingdom of God is. Because if we are to be people who are to pray that God's will be done and his kingdom come and it be on earth here right now in this present time as it is in heaven, we should know what that looks like, don't you think? And so what I want to do is I want to jump over to the book of Romans and, and Paul 
he's, he's writing this letter to, the, to a church in Rome, and, and it's, it's probably the deepest, um, most theologically robust letter he ever wrote. Um, it's, it's an incredible letter, and, and he's also writing, in, in the letter, he's also writing a response to things he's hearing that's happening in the church. And one of the things that he hears is happening is in the church is that there's two groups of people. He calls them weak Christians and strong Christians, and they're like fighting with each other because the strong Christians are doing stuff that the weak Christians don't think they should be doing, and so they're telling him to stop, and the strong Christians are going, hey, no, we have freedom in Christ, and they're going back and forth. So Paul addresses this issue, and he brings them back to the kingdom. He's like, guys, stop it, all right? Stop. Sometimes as pastors, we just want to be able to say that. Look, you guys, stop it, okay? And he's, what he says to Rome, and he says, like, bring it back to what's important. And this is what he says in Romans 14, in verse 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. These three words are what fully define and encompass the kingdom of God. And so I want to take a look at these three words this morning. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when we think about the kingdom of God, and we think, oh man, it means that there's like, you know, people are kind to each other. Yes, that gets encompassed in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When I think about the kingdom of God, I think about it just being so nice, like everything's good, everything's nice. You know, I can go outside, it's always like 78 degrees, and it makes me happy, and I smile, and it's never going to be like 42 degrees again in the month of May. And so, like, this makes me happy, this kingdom of God stuff, right? No, this is what this is, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I want to take a look at these three words. This first word, righteousness, this is, this is step one of the kingdom of God. This is the foundational piece of the kingdom of God is righteousness. Now, if, if you, this word righteousness is not a word we typically use a lot outside of a church environment. I was thinking about it, maybe if you're like on the beaches of California, right? Like I, I think of like Crush from Finding Nemo, righteous, it's righteous, right? Outside of that, Righteousness, not usually in your vocabulary throughout the day unless you're talking about church things. This word righteousness, it can feel like this really super churchy word, but in its simplest form, all it means is to be made right. To be made right. God's kingdom is a kingdom that is first making things right. Making things the way they were originally designed to be, their original intent, the way they were supposed to be, it is making them right right before God, right in the way he designed it, and specifically with humanity. <clears throat> that we are right before God, that humanity stands righteous or right before God. That there's no longer this brokenness of sin. There's no longer this barrier there, and that God and man can be together in relationship the way it was designed to be, the way it was in the garden, the way God intended it to be before it was broken, righteousness made right. That if you've said yes to Jesus, you have been made right. That is what God's kingdom is about. It is about making things right. <clears throat> in Romans 5, we read this. Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, the way it was intention, originally intended to be, 
See, God's kingdom is first a kingdom about making its citizens right before God. God's kingdom is first a kingdom about making its citizens right before God. But here's what's really important. Here's what you need to understand. Is, I, I love what it says here in Romans 5, is that you have been made righteous. In other words, it is not something that you can do. God's kingdom is not a kingdom about, hey, climb the wall and try to get in. You know, hey, do you have enough money to get, can you do the dance? Can you do the thing that you need to do to get in? No, God's kingdom is a kingdom about you have been made right. See, there's this, there's this saying that I hear Christians say all the time. Um, and every time I hear it, it just, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. I want to walk over to the person who says, I'm like, hey, I know what you meant by that, but don't say that anymore, please. Because you're not understanding what you're saying. It's very common. I see it on bumper stickers all over the place. I hear it all the time. This week I've heard it like three or four times. And this is what I hear Christians say all the time. Yeah, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Maybe you've said that before. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, no, actually you're not. A better saying would be, I was a sinner saved by grace. But I am no longer a sinner saved by grace. You see, when we get made righteous, it's an identity change. You're going, Josh, is that really that big of a deal, that difference between the two? Yeah, it really is, because it's about your identity. That you are no longer a sinner saved by grace. You've been made right. You've been made righteous. And so you stand before God made right, right? The scripture says like you stand before God as sons and daughters of God, as royal priesthood, as heirs to the kingdom of God, as being made into the image of God's glory, that you're more than conqueror, that you're a friend of God, that you were made alive in Christ. That is who you are now in God's kingdom. You are not just a sinner saved by grace. No, you are a child of God, a heir to the, to the throne of God, co-heirs with Christ to his kingdom. Like you have an inheritance, and that inheritance is the kingdom of God. And so its citizens must be made right, but righteousness is not something you can earn. You cannot get up in the morning, and you cannot read enough Bible verses, be kind enough to that person in line who definitely does not deserve to be made kind to, right? You can't say the right things, uh, pray enough prayers, and do enough good deeds to go to bed at night feeling like you've earned something. But the problem is, this is what Christians do every day of their lives. They wake up, they try to earn righteousness, and then they go to bed just hoping that they've done good enough. And if they know they've screwed up, well, then they go to bed just with that burden. It, it's, it's exhausting. And it's a, the way so many, honestly, some of you live. It's the way I used to live all the time, and still I struggle with it, and I try not to live this way anymore, trying to earn my righteousness. No, I have been made right. There's nothing I can do about it. Righteousness is not something you earn. It's something, there's only one thing you can do with it, and that is receive it. That is it. You can only receive it. It is through the work of Jesus that we are made righteous. It is through his per- perfection and his death on the cross and his, and his resurrection from the dead. See, God's citizen in this kingdom, they are citizens who have been made right. And you cannot earn it. We don't deserve it. You can't do enough good deeds, but it is given to you. You are made right. Again, it's an identity piece. And you're saying, Josh, hold on. You're saying, I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner saved by grace, but I still sin. I'm confused. 
I get it. I love what Paul writes again in Romans. He says, look, it is no longer I who sin. It's the sin within me that sins. It's an identity piece. And now you might be thinking, yeah, that sounds like a cop-out, right? Sounds like Paul's making excuses for his sin. He, he, it does sound like that, but he's not. He's helping us understand something. He says, look, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Like this cursed body, when will I be set free of it? See, what Paul understands is he, him as a person, his identity, who he is in his core has been made right, yet his soul is still wrapped in this flesh, this bone, this body, and in the very DNA of this body is sin. And we cannot escape it until we are given glorified bodies, and then we will no longer struggle with it at all. See, it is, it is this flesh, this bone that is sinful, but it is not who I am. Who I am is in Christ. Who I am are these things that God says that I am. Who I am is a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I am trapped in this flesh for right now that does still sin and desire sin, but my person is not my flesh. It is who God made me because I've been made right. Colossians says it this way in chapter 1. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. I love that. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. In other words, the kingdom of darkness. He took us from the kingdom of darkness, which we were all citizens of. Made us right and then put us into his kingdom of light. Which we are now, if you've said yes to Jesus, citizens of. And, and, and you cannot have dual citizenship. Right? You can't have dual citizenship. Right? And there's no Sweden, there's no neutral country involved in here. There's two nations, and that is it. Kingdom of darkness and kingdom of light. And Jesus said, hey, God's kingdom of light has now come to earth through me, and it's on the move. And it is advancing. And pray that it is being done here on earth as it is in heaven, but we are citizens of that kingdom now. The next thing Paul says is it's a kingdom of righteousness and peace. Righteousness and peace. What does peace look like? Again, if we're looking for this kingdom here on earth, we should really know what it looks like. We really ought to know what peace is. What does peace look like to you? What, when, when Paul says it's a, right, it's a kingdom of peace, what comes to your mind? Today, peace is, man, the kid's doing everything I say, when I say it, how I say it, and they just talk in a whisper all day long. Right? And that's the dads, right? Like, we got a lot of pressure today to make today perfect for the moms so the kids better behave. Right? That's peace. Peace is, man, the teacher not assigning any homework over the weekend. That's peace, right? Peace is, there's no longer going to be any snow in the month of May in Alaska. No promises, but, right, we think of that's peace. Peace is my bank account is full. Peace is, man, everybody's just happy around me. Peace is just calm or peace is exciting, Here's the deal. If, if we don't define peace correctly, we'll always be searching for something that doesn't exist. And this is what the world does. This is what we do. 
If we don't define peace correctly, we'll always be searching for something that doesn't exist. And we'll go after it. And what's even worse is we get it. And then we don't have peace. Right? If I just get this promotion, then I will have peace. If I just get this new toy, then I'll have peace. If I can just go on this vacation, then I have peace. And we get it, and we have it in our hands, and we go on the vacation, and then Monday comes. And then it's Monday again, right? And we've got to come home, and it's like sand slipping through our fingers, and the peace is gone. And that, that new truck is just a truck. Right? And that money in the bank account is still sitting there, and yet I don't have peace. Why? Because I have not defined it correctly, and I've gone after something that doesn't even actually exist. See, this is what peace is when Paul says that God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. Peace, a better word or better understanding, there's this word that the Hebrews, the Jews used when they would greet each other, when they would... When they would depart ways, they would say shalom. And this idea of shalom, it means peace. But what it means is holistic peace. Peace in your mind, peace in your soul, and peace between you and God, and peace between you and man. Holistic peace in all of the ways. A better term for peace is, is this idea of shalom is wholeness. When all the essential parts are joined together, wholeness, being joined together. In fact, I, you can't have shalom alone. You can't have complete whole peace alone. Why? Because we are designed to be in community. It doesn't mean you can't go have a quiet time and be with God and have peace. Absolutely. But then it's about coming together to be part of God's family, God's community wholeness, wholeness. God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and wholeness being made complete where it doesn't matter what's going on around you, where your peace is not reliant on your circumstances, that you can be in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the trial. That bank account could be empty. I don't know, but we could leave church today. When we open those doors, there's an inch of snow on the ground, right? Like this stuff can happen, and yet I can have peace. I saw people like, <laughs> no, it better not. I'm with you. But it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. right? We do understand we're going to have storms in life. See, too often we think peace is a life void of storms. It's not what peace is at all. Peace in, we, we only get to enact peace. We actually only get to, to engage in peace actually when the storm's coming. It's just like strength. You, you don't really get to engage your strength until you, you need your strength to lift or move something, right? That's just like peace. We don't get engaged peace until there's actually a storm around us. And I'm reminded of, of Jesus, a man of peace, a man who lived in complete wholeness of who he is. Wholeness between his relationship between him and God. Wholeness with his relationship between him and man. Even though there were many, many men who did not like him and wanted to kill him, he lived still in a piece of that, knowing fully who he was and whose he was. Knowing his mission, why he was here, complete peace, and yet when he went to the cross, he carried the weight of the world upon him, the weight of the sin of the world upon him. His peace did not 
flee at that time. He was able to walk forward knowing his mission, completing his mission. Like it says, his face set like flint before the cross. On fire and yet full peace in who he was. See, it didn't matter what was going on around him. It's not about our circumstances that create peace. It is God's kingdom alive in us, knowing that we are in right relationship with God and knowing that our soul and our mind is God's. And when we can get that, when we can get that, storms will come our ways. And it doesn't mean we don't have sorrow. It doesn't mean we don't mourn. In fact, again, Scripture is really clear that we will as believers. In fact, Jesus says, look, at you're blessed when you mourn because there's a comfort that you will receive from God that you, you don't receive any other time. There's a oneness with God that you experience in mourning that you do not experience any other time in life. And so, again, it doesn't mean that peace means that I will never have sorrow. It just means in the sorrow I will know who I am and whose I am and that I am not alone and that I have wholeness. And the last thing that Paul says the kingdom of God is, is a kingdom of joy. Sometimes we forget this as Christians. We're supposed to be joyful, have joy in our life, right? I think too often we get swept up in, in the news. Man, this place is terrible. Life, earth, man, this place is headed to hell in a handbasket, right? It's just getting worse. It's bad getting worse. I, I don't believe that to tell you the truth. I don't think it's as worse as it's ever been. I don't think it's bad getting worse. I believe the kingdom of God is moving and that lives are changing and that people are being restored and redeemed and marriages are being made whole. I believe that God's kingdom is advancing and moving and that there is a battle going on, but God's kingdom is alive. And and part of my job as a citizen of this kingdom is to have joy in my life. God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. What does this joy look like? In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking and he says, look, I have come. He gives him real clear, real clear, straightforward answer to why he has come to earth. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, when I used to read this verse, and I remember I memorized this verse when I was a kid, in my mind, what I would do is I would like finish the sentence for Jesus. I would say, like, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly after you die. Right? Maybe you've thought that. After you die. Like, when I go to heaven, I'm going to have abundant life. But while I'm on earth, it's going to be miserable. All right? It's not God's kingdom. I love how Eugene Peterson uh, translates this in the message version. He says, I have come so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. When Jesus says that he, he came to give us life and give it to us abundantly, he, mean, he meant like now, that we can live in abundance of life. This is this idea of righteousness, peace, and joy. See, the reality is, the truth is, that every human being is in pursuit of joy. Every human being is in pursuit of joy. Like, the decisions you make, you make them because they, you think that they will make you happy in the long run. Every human being is in pursuit of joy. Like, think about it. 
the, the, the things you decide to do, you do them because you think that they will make you like happy. And you're like, no, 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 Josh, I do things all the time that I don't think are going to make me happy. Like this morning, there were like cinnamon rolls upstairs in the green room, and I chose not to have one. I'm not happy about that. But the reason I did that is because, you know, tonight I know there's going to be awesome dessert, and I'm going to have a ton of it. So in the long run, I'm really trying to make a decision that will make me happy. Right? I, I choose not to eat that, so then when I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, happy. Right? Like... The, the, we, we make decisions that we think are going to bring us joy. We're in pursuit of joy. And here's the thing. I believe God made us this way. I don't think that's a bad thing. I believe God made us creatures who are going to be creatures who pursue joy. See, in the Proverbs, David writes and he says, God, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, the problem is not that we're creatures in pursuit of joy. The problem is that too often we pursue a counterfeit joy. We settle for the counterfeit. We settle for the thing that we think is going to bring us joy in our life. Again, going back to that toy, that trip, that thing, like that's going to bring me joy. And it, and it does for a moment until it doesn't anymore, right? And when we, we, when we settle for counterfeits, we can get our hands on them and think, man, this is, this is a really good thing. But then the problem is it's counterfeit and it has no value in, in the end of it all. But when we can pursue the source of all joy, when we have connection with the source of all joy, with God in His right hand are pleasures forevermore. The things that bring us pleasure are in God's hand and He has opened them for us in, a, in abundance, Right? It's an abundant life, a pursuit of pleasure in God. See, the difference between, the difference between, let's just say, things that we love, things that I love. I love getting on my four-wheeler and driving out to Connect Glacier on a sunny day, and it's gorgeous, and it's warm, and you get out there, and you're like, this is amazing. And you get your little grill out, and you throw the little uh, hot dogs on it, and you have a little lunch out there, and you head back. Anybody ever done that? And been like, that's a, big, that's a good day. Anybody had a good day doing something like that? Hiking, going out to Connect, going on a drive down to Seward. Anybody? No one in here has had a good day. I feel bad for you guys. I've had a really good day doing that. And guess what? People who don't know Jesus can do the same thing and have a really good day. So what's the difference when, where's the joy? Like how come my joy can be different than their joy? Here's the difference. When I do that, you know what it does inside of me? It brings me to this place of worship. It brings me to this place of elevation beyond the moment to go, God, you are good. And that stays with me. For, for someone who doesn't know Jesus, their best hope is, I can't wait to do that again next weekend. And that, that's, like, that's the limit. That's the ceiling. I can't wait. Uh, that was fun. Now it's Monday. Can't wait to do that again. Now he's working all week to try to do that again. For me, coming into Monday, I'm like, God, you're so good. And I, it brings me to this elevated place of worship. In fact, there's this, this kind of like thesis called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it's 104 questions. It's a simple thing that really smart people put together a really long time ago. And it's like 104 questions about life, about God, about uh, uh, his word, about how humanity is supposed to operate. And it's just like question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. This is really, really good deep stuff. And the very, very, very first question is this. What is the chief end of man? Or in modern terms, why are we here? Why do we exist? And I love the answer they give 
in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Your purpose is to glorify God. How do you glorify him? By enjoying him forever. That is our purpose. That is the kingdom. So when you go out and you take that drive down to the sewer, you, you go hike those mountains, you, you do whatever it is you love. You sit down and you put together the puzzle with no picture on it, right? Whatever you do, when you do those things and in them you glorify God and you praise him and it brings you to this place of worship, you are fulfilling your purpose on this of life. That is God's kingdom. Romans 15 says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Again, we are creatures who are designed to pursue joy with all joy and peace as you believe in him. How do we find that joy and peace? It is through our relationship with the God who has all joy and all peace. It is his kingdom. And I love this last part, that you may overflow with hope. Do you know that you are all overflowing with something? We allow things to be poured into us. And when they get poured into us, they overflow out and we spill on the people around us. So the question, what are you spilling on the people around you? Is it hope? Is it joy? Or is it frustration? Is it anger? Is it distrust? What are you spilling on the people around you? What is being poured into you that is overflowing out? Cynicism? Or is it a hope and a joy in God? You see, as we wrap this up, We started with this idea of this prayer, Jesus teaching us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But here's what we need to understand today, church, is that whenever God moves in all of Scripture, whenever God moves in Scripture, he always partners with humanity. He moves in and through and with humanity. Always except for one time in the entire Bible, one time he does not move with humanity. He does not partner with humanity. Does anybody know what that one time was? When there was no humanity, all right? In the beginning, in the beginning, God creates this earth and then he creates humanity. And from that moment on, he always, always moves and partners with humanity. Whenever you look at God's movement, his miracles in scripture, it's always partnered with humanity. So much so that even salvation itself was partnered with humanity. Jesus became man. He was fully man because God always partners with his creation. And so then if we are instructed to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, guess who God's going to partner with to make that happen? It's us. We are the ones who help make that happen. We are the ones who live our lives and go out from this place. And as we live, we are making it as on earth as it is in heaven. This is our mission as ACF Church. You know, this is our primary number one vision to see it in Alaska as in heaven. This is why this is our vision. It's because the responsibility is up to us through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. 
that we would go, when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to our sports teams, when we go hang out and do the things we do on the weekends and after work, that wherever we go, we're making it in that place, on earth as in heaven. We are the answer to the prayer, your will be done through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We are the answer to that prayer, church. God's will is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be agents bringing the reality of his kingdom to the here and the now. We get a partner with God on this. He's not going to do it apart from us. And so the question is, is when we go out, when we do things, are we bringing God's kingdom with us? Are we making it as on earth as it is in heaven? Well, I have three quick ways I want to walk through to know how, how can we know? How can we know if we're accomplishing that? The first one is this. As we go, things are made right. Are things made right as you go out in your day? Are, are, are broken things made right? Are things that are wrong made right when you show up? Or when you show up, you just add to the chaos? Here comes chaos, right? Is that you? Or do you, when you show up to a situation at work or at home with family, in your neighborhood, in, in, at your school, on, on your sports team, wherever it is, are things being made right? The second thing is as we go, things are made whole. When we show up, it's like, do, do people all of a sudden have this sense of like, man, things are being made whole, relationships are being made whole. Uh, people who are broken are being put back together. Situations where there's poverty or brokenness, they're being made whole. People have a sense of worth and uh, worth when they're around you. People have a sense of value when they're around you because they understand that they, in, in your presence, they are being made whole and valuable as a human being. Is that what happening when you go out and about in your day? If, if it is, you're advancing the kingdom of God. You're making Jesus' prayer a reality. And the last one is this. As we go, people are made abundant. Again, this idea of joy, Jesus says it's abundance. As you go, do you go in the spirit of abundancy? Or do you go in the spirit of scarceness? Like when you show up, is there an abundance is there an abundance of forgiveness with you? Do you forgive often and easily? When you show up, is there an abundance of peace with you? When you show up, is there an abundance of grace about you? When someone, when, when the person behind the checkout stand is freaking out or, you know, you have the worst server in the world that day, Whatever it is, when that person is just riding your tail and there's clearly two other lanes they can turn into, is there an abundance of grace in your life? Is there an abundance of generosity where you're ready and willing and able to help when you can? Is there abundance? Is abundance what describes you when you show up? If it is, you are helping be the answer to the prayer on earth as it is in heaven. You see, at the end of the day, we can't do these things on our own. At the end of the day, it's not about, okay, I got to get up and I got to be an abundant person today. I'm going to, I want so much joy today. People are going to feel it. 
It's not that. Again, it goes back. It starts with righteousness. You've been made right. You are right. You were not a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. You were, but now you are a child of God, a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that reality, let that sink into your soul, and it changes you. You've been given a new heart. It's not the same heart, people. When you say yes to Jesus, you don't have the same heart. Your new creation, not the old creation just resuscitated back to life, sort of freaky zombie thing. No, you are a new creation. So live like it. And when you live like it, you'll bring the kingdom of God with you wherever you go. I'm going to close in prayer, but as I do in just a moment, there's people here who want to pray with you. And uh, if you would like prayer this morning, they're just going to be up front here during this last worship song. Just come up and get prayer for whatever you need. But if you said yes to Jesus this morning, maybe you were listening and you were like, man, I want, I want that kingdom. I didn't know that's what it meant to be a Christian. I didn't know that's what it meant to be a believer. I thought it was all about just following a whole bunch of rules. I didn't realize there's this, this kingdom and it's about righteousness, peace, and joy and that I've been, I, I, can, I can be made righteous. If you want that this morning, come forward and there's people up here that just want to pray with you. And you can receive that and be, and, and be trans, trans, uh, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light right now this morning. If you guys would, join me in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Jesus, I thank you that you were righteous so we didn't have to be. God, that you lived this life perfectly so that we didn't have to. But God, that you give us your righteousness. God, thank you for your kingdom. That is a kingdom truly of everything we desire, everything within our DNA, everything within the fiber of our beings, everything within us is what your kingdom is, is what we crave. But God, in its most pure and real form, Jesus, I pray that we could experience that. God, there's believers in here, there's followers of you in here who've never really tasted peace and and, and joy before because they've been going after the wrong thing. They've been searching for something that doesn't actually exist. Jesus, I pray that they would experience real peace and real joy in you today. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.